0: Okay, so Let's pray. Father, I know uh, the truth of that song is there, but I also know in the reality of our hearts, those are some hard words to sing at times. We know you're present with us. We know that you're with us. We, we're confident of that, but we also know that we live in such a broken, dark place that um, many of our hearts are broken. And so when we, we talk about your presence with us in the eye of the storm, God, I ask that it would be, your presence would be particularly near. Father, I I pray that in our moments together this morning, that you would fill us with hope. I pray, Father, that we would see you as you truly are, a God who's willing to press into the possibility, and with no amount of time, no amount of space, being able to, to throw you off your plan. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I I, I knew that Chris was going to have a microphone, so I actually planned a shorter message on purpose. So we're all good. It's what happens when a football coach starts, starts going. He just can't get his arms to stop moving. So. I can empathize. It was good. So, Luke chapter one. Today we start our series in the uh, the, the Christmas series, the Advent series, and and and, and I want to make sure that you, well, here I'll give you the background. So, in in tradition, in Christian tradition, church tradition, the traditional Christmas calendar, if you will, for churches, is marked by four weeks of Advent services that go with a, a certain theme. And there's a lot of different themes that you can follow. We're using a more traditional theme this year. We're going hope, joy, love, and peace. And so our first week this week is we are talking about hope. Now, let's be very clear. Um, hope isn't something that is in a huge surplus in our culture today. We live in one of the, the, the periods of time of history where m- more people feel hopeless than ever before. Now that shouldn't surprise us because hopelessness really has been present for thousands and thousands of years, you you go back to the very beginning of time when God created everything. He created this good and that good, and it was wonderful, and it was very good, and it was perfect. and And, and everything's rolling along, and and God and man and woman are are living in perfect peace and faithful um um fellowship, and and it's a perfect world. There's no sickness, no death. Uh, no, no, no fear, no sin, no disease, none of those things have come in until man and women rebel in the face of God. And in that moment, there's a shattering of that peacefulness, a, an absolute destruction of the unity that existed up until that point. And every single one of us sitting in this room has been affected by that moment today. We all experience heartache and disappointment and hardship and frustration and hurt and sorrow and disease and death. I mean, every single one of us has come face to face with those things. So please know this. You are not alone. So, so let me prove that to you. If, if you at this point of your life, have experienced loss or heartache or hurt that has left you confused or frustrated or or even shaken in your confidence with who God is and what he's doing. If that's true about you at any point in your life, raise your hand. Okay, so look around. You're not alone. Yeah, but they didn't raise their hand. Well, I'm not going to call anybody a liar today because it's Christmas and that's not nice, but I can just say maybe their time hasn't come yet but will because the reality is none of us escape the hopelessness that was brought into the world in that moment. And so the message of Christmas, the message of Advent, and the message of today is that that God brings hope and that there's no amount of time, no amount of space that's going to throw him off of the plan to bring us the hope that he has promised us. God brings hope. Hope. So if you look at verse 26 of chapter 1 here in, in Luke, we, we, we get our, our passage. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. He went to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. So let me just stop there for a minute, give you a little context, a little background. When you hear the story of Christmas, when you hear the story of Gabriel showing up to Mary at at Nazareth, I think in our head, because we're so familiar with the story, we've assigned what Nazareth actually looks like. We've assigned that, that Nazareth is probably a suburb of Jerusalem, it's highly populated, it's an economic center, and that none of that is true. Nazareth is a little podunk one horse town that has a population at this time of about 150 people. And in fact, it's such a run down place, it's so disrespected that that people would try to remove it from their resume uh, so that nobody would know they were from Nazareth. In fact, even Jesus, when when Jesus is calling to himself his disciples, Nathaniel hears that Jesus is from Nazareth and he's like, Well, can any good thing actually come from Nazareth? Not a great place to be at this time. Then, then let's deal with this other part. He, he comes and sees this girl named Mary. And I, I think for many of us, whether it be movies or for whatever reason, we've pictured Mary as a, you know, a 22-year-old, fair-skinned, quiet young lady who's engaged to be married. The reality in this time is Mary was somewhere between the ages of 12 and 15. She's just a little girl. She is certainly not prepared for the message she's about to receive from an angel. She's just a, a little girl. So we're talking about hope. How, how are those things just right there? How is that hope? How is it hope that, that the angel has appeared to this little girl in this podunk town and said, Listen, God is with you. Well, I just gave you the answer. The hope isn't the podunk town. The hope isn't Mary herself. The hope is the very presence of God. See, for for thousands of years, since that fall that we read about in Genesis chapter 3, for thousands of years, the people of God are just waiting and waiting and waiting for the promised Messiah to come. There, And they're looking, they're watching, and after all that time, nothing has happened. I mean, they had all their theories about what it would look like. They they thought for sure it would be grand and big and majestic. And here, the announcement of the long-awaited king is spoken to a little teenage girl in the middle of nowhere. Why? Why why would God pick her there? I, I haven't the foggiest idea. If you were hoping I had an answer, I got nothing, sorry. I don't. Other than that's really the way God works, isn't it? He delights in showing his strength in places we would never expect it. And then and, and, and absolutely, we should all be thankful for that because guess what? That means he delights in showing his strength in us. And so in this moment, in this place, in this moment where there's just been hundreds and hundreds of years of anticipation and hopefulness and yet hopelessness at the same time because God still hadn't come through with his promise. In that moment, we hear these beautiful words spoken to Mary, the Lord is with you. We live in a context of hopelessness. The promise that God gives to Mary ends up being the promise that you and I can cling to god is with us and, and and I don't want to sell that short I want you to know that's hope hope isn't a life that is free from struggle hope isn't two and a half kids in a white picket fence hope isn't even a car that runs consistently Although you hope your car runs consistently. Hope is knowing that God looked across the span of space and time, saw us in the middle of our mess, and still showed up. That's hope. But in our story this morning, we have a pretty significant problem when it comes to this promise that's coming from the mouth of the angel to the ears of Mary. Verse 34, actually, let me let me go back. Let me, the Lord is with you is the words that the angel uses in verse 28. And I think this is, might be the biggest understatement in Scripture. But she was deeply troubled by this statement. When an angel shows up and starts talking to you, I think deeply troubled doesn't even quite touch it. She was deeply troubled, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. So the angel said to her, Mary, don't be afraid. Just another side note, when you come into contact with an angel, you don't do it with arrogance. Throughout all of scripture, when you come face to face with an angel, it's not like that old show, the old touched by an angel show, where it was such a beautiful little being or person. It's like, hello, I just wanted to talk to you today. No, the proper response to seeing an angel is, Ah! So making sure you're awake, everybody's awake, good, very good. <laughs> that, that's throughout all the scripture. So when the angel's like, Mary, Mary, don't be afraid. Remember, that's the right response. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Listen, listen, you have found favor with God. I think what the angel Gabriel's doing there is saying, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to tell you that God's gonna judge you. I'm not here to reveal to you something that God has seen in your life that is displeasing to him. You have found favor in God's eyes, not because you're a wonderful person, but because God is a God of grace. And he looks at you. And he finds favor in you. Now listen, Mary. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you're gonna name him Jesus. He's gonna be great, <laughs> He'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's, that's quite the message. And Mary's response is exactly appropriate. I have a problem. How could this possibly be? I've not had sexual relations with a man so the angel replies to her and just clears everything right up. <laughs> the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And I think in that moment, as the angel speaking to Mary, he sees the perplexed look on her face, and he tries to take some of the pressure off. He's like, "Listen, listen, okay, look, consider your relative uh, 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 Elizabeth." She's conceived a son in her old age, and this is actually the sixth month of the one who has been called childless. See, with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary's response is, I'm the Lord's servant. I, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel left. I love the fact that, that as the angel is explaining to Mary that the, the, the the plan of God from before the foundation of the world. And he's just unloading this plan and he's laying it out for her, like this is what's gonna happen and this is what's gonna happen and this is who he's going to be and this is what they will say about him and this is what he will do. Mary's like, yeah, yeah, hold on. Go back a few steps. How could this possibly be? I've never been sexually active. And the angel's like, no, 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 you're gonna be pregnant. Holy Spirit will be involved, you'll be pregnant, you'll still be a virgin, but you're going to be pregnant. And her response is, what? I mean, how many of us think that Mary was like, oh, okay, makes sense, good, okay, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> no! This doesn't make any sense still. And you get that sense when, when the, the angel sees it and like, okay, but go look at your relative Elizabeth, who is up there in age, who's, who's never had children, she has been barren her entire life, she has never been able to have a baby, and now, of all times, She's pregnant. She's six months pregnant. Now, let me be clear. God opening the womb of an infertile woman is miraculous. We have friends who um, tried for years to conceive and were never able to, and so they decided to adopt. And it's a beautiful picture, and they, they had the perfect attitude about it. We're so excited about it, and they adopted, and then Literally a month later, they find out she's pregnant with twins. See, it's, it's not it's, it's, it can be, we can consider it miraculous, that's fine, let's, let's call it miraculous, but it's not impossible. So, so hear this, it's not impossible for a woman who has a husband and she's enjoying her husband to become pregnant, right? Okay, some of you said right and your kids were like, stop it. Okay, <laughs> but that's reality. It doesn't matter the span of age. It doesn't matter the complications or the difficulty. That that it, it may be like, wow, that was surprising. We did not expect that, but it's not impossible. But for a virgin to be pregnant is impossible. You understand that, right? And I, and I think what ends up happening is is some of us hear this and some of our. I don't know what our, our, our arguments, some of our arguments, some of our disbelief even is. But, Frank, a virgin can't get pregnant. And my response to that is, don't you think we know that? That's kind of the point. Right? Yeah, but I'm having a hard time. And even as a believer in Jesus Christ, somebody who, who, who wholeheartedly believes in the power of God to accomplish the impossible, there's still times where I'm like, yeah, but that one's, uh... well, if that's you, get in line. And realize you're standing in line behind Mary herself. Okay? This is not an easy one. I got this one. This is not an easy one. But what it shows us is that we worship a God who has no boundaries. We worship a God who has no limits. We worship a God who has no lack of strength, no lack of wisdom, no lack of ability. And because of that, while you worship that God in spirit and in truth, there will be mystery that means God's bigger than you. So praise God that there's mystery. Because if you can fit all of God in that little thing in your head, man, we're all in trouble, right? That's why Deuteronomy 29, 29 is such a beautiful verse. I'll write it down, look it up later. It says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things that I won't know, but God's got it. That verse goes on to say, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and our children and our children's children. So what the point of that verse is, though the secret things belong to God and we can trust him with those secret things, the things he's revealed, you're responsible for it. You better get serious about them. But but I praise God that I serve a God who's bigger than me. I praise God that I serve a God who, who ventures into the mysterious. I praise God that I have hope because of the power of God to do the impossible. And that's what the picture of Christmas is, you want to know how far God was willing to go for us? So, so uh, Matthew actually quotes uh, a passage uh, back in, in um, Isaiah chapter 7. I'll just tell you the quick story about a king named Ahaz, which go figure through our whole Kings of Israel series we didn't touch. But King Ahaz was a horrible king. Go figure, that seemed to be the pattern, Right? Terrible king, he was an idol worshiper and an idol maker. Okay, and so, so here, here, all of a sudden, he's finding out that all of his enemies are about to attack him. The enemies are at the door. He has got no chance to defeat his enemies. He's completely overwhelmed. And actually, Isaiah seven says that um, as his people looked out at the enemy, that they shook like trees in the wind. They were shaking like a leaf. They were terrified. And so what does what a terrible king like King Ahaz do? Well, a terrible king like King Ahaz offers his son as a sacrifice, to Molech, the idol. A terrible king like King Ahaz pays the king of Assyria for protection, hoping that may hold his enemies at bay, but that isn't going to work. And so what God does in a, in a picture of grace, God uh, appears to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. And he offers Ahaz help even when Ahaz isn't asking for it. And what, what God tells Ahaz is you don't react in fear, don't freak out, I want you to rest in the very promise of God. And the promise that God gives Ahaz in that moment is a promise of victory over these enemies. He says these enemies that are coming against you, they're nothing but smoldering sticks at the end of a campfire. There's no heat in them, there's no power in them, there's no energy in them, they're just making a lot of show. But what's interesting is it doesn't seem like Ahaz believes God when God makes those promises to him. And so God says to him, listen, okay, any sign that you can think of, any sign from as high as heaven to as low as hell, any sign you can think of, you name it, and I will do it to prove to you that I am for you. And King Ahaz responds, no, I'm sorry, I will not ask, I will not test the Lord for a guy who's done nothing but rebel against God his entire life, that is, that, that's pretty um, obnoxious. I think that's a picture uh, of having a form of religion without having any substance to his religion. And, and so God actually, it, it, it's, it's a verse we quote all the time. God's responding to Ahaz. And he says this in verse 14 of Isaiah 7. Therefore, because you won't give me a sign, Ahaz, to prove to you that I am for you, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. She'll have a son, and she's going to name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God says, I I am here to save you, and I will move past the very boundaries of possibility so that you can have hope. I'm going to move right past all the things that everybody else looks at and says, "Oh, that's impossible." It's not impossible with God. Here's the sign of hope. A virgin will have a baby boy. The baby boy's name will be God with us. You want hope? Then I myself will be with you. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. God came in flesh. That's the incarnation. God showed up. God showed up. He didn't send a representative. Think about that. If you you have your husband, maybe your wife, is sitting in the other room after going through incredible heartache and is just crushed in their soul, and you're not the one that did it. That's the other key part of this one. (laughs) You don't send in a representative to hug her or hug him. You go yourself. You arrive next to her and embrace her to encourage her. God came to us in the flesh and he wrapped around himself our polluted being so that we could be made aware of his love for us. He came to redeem us and he did it in a way that only he could do. He lived the life that you and I cannot possibly live. And he died the death that you and I should have died. And he died willingly for us on our behalf in order to make a payment for our debt. And, and if we accept that payment on our behalf, if we claim it as ours, if we admit that our checking account doesn't have nearly enough in it to cover the debt of sin, he will redeem us. That's what he came to do. God didn't show up so that you could give each other Christmas presents. God showed up to redeem you. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that's what we're going to celebrate here in a moment as we observe the Lord's Supper together. Before I, I, I continue, just a couple of logistic things about uh, communion. I'm going to, in a minute, I'm just going to finish up. I'm going to pray. Some music's going to play. Um, I would encourage you to leave your seat to receive the elements. When you leave your seat, everybody put your right hand up. Right hand, right hand. Okay. When you leave your seat, walk out the aisle on that side, your right side. Come, receive the element at the table, and return up the left side to your seat. Have a seat. Pray. Spend some time reflecting. There'll be a song sung, and then we'll observe Lord's Supper together. But before we get there, let me do this. All of these things, the crackers, the juice, those are just symbols. They're pictures. And today isn't about if you're going to take these elements. It's about if you're going to take Jesus. So do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in human flesh? Do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin by the work of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that you're a sinner whose only hope is in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? The blood that he shed for your sins. Do you believe that God victoriously raised Jesus from the dead three days later? Do you believe that in this very moment, you stand before God wholly forgiven God's justice forever satisfied because of Jesus' credit of righteousness to your account. Do you believe He's coming again soon? Then if that's you, I would invite you to the table to celebrate communion with us. But if that's not you, I would implore you to stay in your seat. I would implore you to spend the time Examining your own heart, your own life, and where you stand with the God who's pursuing you this morning. I would implore you, take this seriously. Because God took it seriously enough to come in flesh and to suffer on your behalf. To bring you peace and acceptance with God himself that's what we celebrate today. Our hope isn't in an easy life. It's not in things getting better and better. Our hope is in the fact that God showed up. Would you pray with me, Father? I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Father, for your love for us. It is great, and it is far surpassing anything we could possibly comprehend. God, I thank you for for the opportunity to observe communion together, to, to look at, they're just crackers, it's just a little cup of juice. But God, just like a picture book, it's meant to remind us of what it is that Jesus Christ did for us. God, I thank you, oh man, I thank you, that Jesus didn't just show up to condemn us because he could have. But he showed up to live, to die, and to rise again. So Lord, today remind us of that. Remind us of the mercy and the grace that we get to experience because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's in his good and precious name I pray. Amen.